what you said you will do. I am learning to trust in you, Lord. I am learning to trust in you, Lord. I am learning to trust in you, Lord. I have faith in your word. <clears throat> you will do. I am learning to trust in
church and there's so much happening around us that we can become so adjusted to negative things that we fail to realize the seriousness of the time we're living in it is important that we don't forget that I like the song that we were singing create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit and I'm sure when David make, made mention of that um, in Psalms the 51st chapter he was not talking about the Holy Spirit but I think he was probably speaking about the right attitude a right attitude to people a right attitude in life and developing a right spirit uh, that is what I think Paul would mean when he says we are a place where the spirits, the spirits of just men are made perfect. In, in, the, in the Gospel of John, um, in the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, we tried to start this a couple of times and never really got into it. And... Um, in details, but the spirit of Jesus uh, is manifested a lot in the book, in the Gospel of John, starting from the very first part of that scripture of the of the Gospel. Um, if you if you have a question while I'm talking uh, tonight, because we're not streaming, you can ask. All right, but Jesus. He emphasized here the importance of his people, the churn of God abiding, abiding, living in him. He says here, and we've gone over some of these scriptures over and over again, and I can close my Bible and talk to you about how important it is not only to experience the Lord when we come to church and the songs are sung and we are singing in, but experiencing the Lord on a daily 
basis. Um, I said some time ago that, and we have said this, we have said this over and over again, that Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, isn't that what we title even the trans, uh, the King James Bible have Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. And when you really think about it, conversion is not an instant thing, it's a process. It's a process, it's a time from the time we accept uh, the fact that we are sinners and we need the Lord to save us. And we start confessing our sins. Uh, the formalities we have used for years. We have used formalities, uh, we have made altar calls and uh, when we do the altar call, you can come to the altar and be led into a sinner's prayer. And the term we use is that you have accepted Jesus into your life as your personal Savior. I don't know if anywhere in the Bible this method was used uh, where you just say a sinner's prayer uh, and accept Jesus. And you, it's a formality even though it is real to a certain extent, it can become a form of godliness in that you really don't accept Jesus because it's, it's a mechanical thing. You come to the altar and say a sinner's prayer, but contrition is not there. A deep godly sorrow is not there. And if a deep godly sorrow is not there, then it's just the mechanics of religion that we're involved in. And um, I know I told you that we're looking at John 15, and it's a good place to look at, but I'll step aside a little bit from John 15. Guys, Wednesday night, you don't know where my mind is gonna go. And when you think about it here in Acts, hold on to John 15, we're not leaving that, but in Acts, the, uh, the sixth chapter of Acts, just before, we get to the seventh chapter of Acts of the Apostles, and we are so glad that Luke wrote the Acts. And I've said this over and over again because I never heard it said before. And that is why I get excited about it. But um, with such a tremendous experience that people had, such a tremendous experience as the day of Pentecost, uh, I felt like more disciples or more apostles should be talking about it. And so from my critical point of view, from a critical point of view, I felt like they wrote about it. And I felt there were other documents that we don't have in the King James Bible that spoke about that incident. And the most we can get is Paul's writings, because when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he emphasized the importance of using, utilizing the gifts of the Spirit properly in church. 1 Corinthians 14, right? In 1 Corinthians 14, he emphasized the importance of using this uh, proper uh, using the gifts in order. Let everything be done decently and in order. And we, because we don't have details on this, except from, from Luke writing the Acts, we tend to have all kinds of things happening in Pentecost. And uh, people speak in tongues all over the place. 
They have some churches, they speak in tongues no matter who is there. Uh, same old tongues. And they even give interpretation of tongues. Now, I know that I can call the Holy Ghost the devil or call the devil the Holy Ghost or call the flesh the spirit and call the spirit the flesh because it could be someone who's just acting up in the flesh. But we need the genuine experience of the Holy Ghost because unless we have the Holy Ghost filling us genuinely, our conversion process would be stagnated. Uh, we need God to help us. And so we need a continuous conversion process, a daily walk with God. And during this period of time where we are going through a pandemic, um, uh, the word pandemic has become such a common word. I still have a problem with pandemic. I always want to say pandemic. Uh, it's almost like the Adamic nature. Well, the pandemic is going to be there and it might phase slowly, go out of existence. I don't think it's going to be completely lost from the world. It's going to go away in some parts and then come back in some parts. And it is the time where children of God must come to the place of understanding what God wants them to do. So I'm back to the conversion process. But here, in Acts the 16th chapter, in 6th chapter, sorry, in Acts the 6th chapter, uh, Stephen was described here in chapter 6 where uh, they were looking, this, the apostles were looking for honest men to serve bread to the widows. Honest men to serve bread to the widows. And uh, believe it, we have people in position uh, of authority that does not fill this qualification. And when Peter and the rest of the apostles were saying that, you know, we are serving tables. We are there sharing bread to the widows and the poor people that we should give ourselves over to prayer and, uh, the, and the study of the word of God, prayer and fasting and the study of the word of God. And so it says here in verse 2, and then the 12 uh, called a multitude of disciples unto them and they said, it is not reason that we apostles should leave the word of God and serve tables. Uh, in other words, we need to get ourselves separated to do things that are more convenient to us. I have a lot of things I do during the day. Um, my life is brimmed with activity during the day. But in spite of what I do, I'm glad for technology. I can hang my phone on my chest in a little, in a little container, a little phone holder, and I can listen to the Word of God. I'm learning, getting my family to start listen, listening to the Word of God. And there's so much more you can get. You'll read the same chapter. But when somebody else is reading it to you, there's so much more you hear. Uh, you can hear. You can understand more. And so uh, the disciples, uh, the apostles said, we're not going to serve tables. Wherefore, they said, let's look out from among you seven men. And these men that will serve tables, in other words, men that will go and share bread to the widows and do chores like that, here, is the here are the qualifications. They must be men who everybody thinks they're honest. They're not a bunch of crooks. They're not vacillating. They're not fickle. 
They must serve. They must be men of honest report, full, full, full of the Holy Ghost. I mean, they're only serving bread, yes, but full of the Holy Ghost, of course, because Luke is writing the Acts of the Apostles. One of the things Luke liked to emphasize a lot is the Holy Ghost, because I believe he was a Holy Ghost baptized man, and he knew the importance of the Holy Ghost. Um, why I think, I don't think the other apostles ignore the concept of the day of Pentecost. I feel that people putting these books together, and when I'm so glad I'm not on the internet tonight, because when I say this, I'll have all kinds of eyebrows lifting on me, because they will say, well, you're condemning the Bible. Well, I'm not condemning the Bible. I'm com com con condemning the men that put it together and I'm saying, why did they choose these books? Somebody says, God led them to do that. Are you sure? There were Presbyt they, they, they were, uh, they were Puritans, believe 80% of the doctrines wrong. There were bishops, Catholics, the Church of Rome, a Church of England, believe 80% of their doctrines wrong. And then they had approval from King James from the Church of Scotland. None of them were Pentecostals. None of them believed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so when they're putting things together, I wonder if they left out important letters that emphasize the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I wonder. Now, when I say that, the brother's going to say, well, you know, we're looking at the best translation here, the King James translation. Well, you call it the best translation. I call it the chance translation that is the best I can enjoy reading. But is it possible that they put things in? Well, we see them putting things in, and we see them taking things out. And like Brother Goodwin said years ago, if they couldn't title some of the book right, they... Gospel of St. Matthew, the Gospel of St. Luke, the Gospel of St. John. You can see that Anglican Catholic slant there. Uh, the revelation of St. John the Divine. My God, John was not divine. If John knew they title his book like that, he'll get really upset with them. John was not divine. God alone is divine. And when they title that, I have a problem because I feel like they did, they translated it to suit their own ideology and theology. That is why nothing beats the authenticity of the Holy Ghost baptism. When you get the real Holy Ghost, you will know more than what's written in this book. And that is why God did not allow us to have any of Paul's writing messages. All we have is corrective letters and we're trying to build something. Well, you know what? You build whatever. But I believe that we need the Holy Ghost, genuine Holy Ghost, like it happened on the day of Pentecost. I believe Luke's account was correct. And I believe other men had their accounts too. And somebody that didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost slipped away letters and documents that should have been probably included. But I saying, are you going to go search for them? No, no, I'm not searching for that. You get the author working in your life. That's more important. But I'm saying we can't just go overboard on certain issues. 
And so people can be there. And so these men, to serve bread, they had to be of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. If the man serving bread had to be qualified like this, how much more elders in the church and leaders in the church and ministers and bishops and elders, all right? And so we are thinking of things like this that is very important that we pay attention to this. Now, I know I got your finger in John 15 and I got your finger in Acts the sixth chapter and I'm thinking I want to come over just a brief glimpse of uh, Timothy's writing, Paul writing to Timothy, in Paul's epistle to Timothy, and in 1 Timothy, and chapter 3, you know where I'm going with this, but um, very briefly we'll pass. Paul says, this is a true saying. If a man desire, he desire, this man desire. It's not that God calls him, but he desire the office of a bishop. He wants to be a minister. That's all right. Um, a lot of us that say God call us, maybe God didn't call us. We don't know. The end will tell us a lot, right? We might have called ourselves and, and convinced people. I might be a good speaker and convince the people listening to me that God called me. God knows if he calls me and my ministry will bear fruit, uh, the kind of fruit into the lives of those that accept it if the Lord called me. When I say fruit, I'm not talking about numbers. Uh, numbers did not go with the ministry of Jesus and numbers did not go with the conclusion of Paul's ministry. But it says here, Bishop, it's a good work. A bishop must be blameless. See, the same kind of desire. A bishop, now, it, this is not a man serving bread, a deacon. A deacon. Stephen, I think, was a deacon. A deacon is a lesser category than a bishop. But a deacon must be full of the Holy Ghost. Much more the bishop must be full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, one that, uh, husband of one wife. Not one wife of, at the time, but one wife. Vigilant, he must be always on the ball. He can't be a dud. He can't be a deadbeat. He can't be somebody that, you know, very passive. No, he must be vigilant. He must always watch out for things. And that is why when I come on into church, if there's a light blown, I don't have to even look up. I walk in the entrance, and if one of those bulbs are blown, I know the difference. I know the difference. A bishop must be able to see things more than just the Bible. Uh, the bishop uh, must be able to recognize things around, vigilant, always on the ball. Uh, something is banging in the back. A bishop would hear that before anybody else. He must know if something is going on in the back. Uh, somebody comes in that will disrupt the service. A bishop is on top of that. You understand what I'm saying? Vigilant, always on the watch for his own life as well as the lives of those that are entrusted in his hands. It says, uh, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. He cannot be a brawler or somebody find you wandering around in uh, places that you shouldn't go. A bishop must be of good behavior and given to hospitality. He's always a man that's willing to entertain individuals, uh, apt to teach, not given to wine, not given, he didn't say much wine, not given to wine, period. Uh, it means that a bishop cannot drink. Now, a lot of times, and I said this when I was online, that I went out and got me two spumante, you remember? 
I said that. And so I went home that night and I checked for my two spumante. And I said, Chandri, what did you do? Uh, she said, wherever you put them, that's where they are. We're talking about how long ago, a month, a year? I mean, a year ago? A year ago. And the reason why I bought these, they're not even spumante. They're called bambino because bambino spumante. Bambino was a popular name. They said bambino sparkling wine. They're the little bottles. I said, I bought two bottles, little bottles. When I checked, I searched around there in the cupboard. <laughs> Still there. All right. It's that something in me just don't feel like I need to drink wine. Not because the Bible says that something within me is just I feel I don't need to drink wine. While a bishop should not drink wine. Uh, like, <clears throat> and he says, not given to, not greedy. All he's thinking is about money, money, money. Money, money, money. Can I make more money? There's a need. I can't give my money. I only have $100. Why do you want me to give the church 10 It can't work. See, a bishop must not be taken over with filthy lucre. Uh, that's money. He must not be uh, taken over. It says, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. These are all qualifications. One that ruleth well his own house. And I was saying that a bishop must rule well his own house. <clears throat> if you're a bishop, you must be able to bring your wife in submission to God. Uh, she, if you're going to be a good bishop, you must be able to bring your wife in submission to God. You must be able to bring your children in submission. That's not a pastor's job. That's your job. Your job is to bring your house in submission to God. Uh, and that is important. It is important. And the reason why some of these things come to my mind is because we are reading in family devotion, we're reading about Eli. And Eli, even though he could not raise his own sons right, his sons were deserving the judgment of God. They were greedy. They were uh, immoral. They were men that you could not trust. The priest's sons, they, they go to church. Yes, they go to church and they committed sin while they're going to church. They, they try to rob the the offerings to take from the portion that the priest should have, they want more to see if they can get some more than what is allotted to them. And so God dictated, uh, he told Eli that your sons will die under the judgment of God. God told Eli that. And even though Eli had sons he could not raise right, the Lord directed Hannah to take Samuel for Eli to raise him. Isn't that something? Uh, they, see, man's judgment is different. Did Samuel go there and get perverted? No. You know why? Because not only because he had a calling on his life, because his mama did a good job on him. She laid the basic foundations in that little boy's life. That by the time she took him to Eli, he was respectful, he was decent, he was committed, he was submissive to the work of God and the principles of God. Do you understand? what I'm saying and so this is important a man must rule well his own house he must bring it in submission to God rule well his own house and it says having his children in subjection with all gravity we got to get back to the Eli story sometime but um, a man that know not how to rule his own house how shall he take care of the church of God he must be able must be frugal must be committed to his own church uh, his own house, and then when he comes into church, the same attitude, the same concern he has for other people's children. 
You understand what I mean? And for the children of God. Now, if that's not strong enough, turn over uh, to Titus, just a little further on to Titus. And in the little epistle of Titus, Paul is writing here to Titus. And in Titus chapter 1, he talks about, um, he says, uh, let Titus should ordain elders. And this is why I believe an elder is a bishop. An elder is a bishop. All right. It says a bishop. He says, ordain, verse 5. He says, um, I've left thee in Crete. Thou should have set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. He says, I set you up, Titus, and I ordain you as an elder. I want you to go in to every one of these cities and ordain elders because the work of God needs elders. Not jokers, elders. Elders that can be there at all times to be assistant to the church. And it says, uh, if any be blameless, and he goes down the same qualification, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, not have, having, his, having faithful children, not accused of riot, not having hoodlums, uh, not having hoodlums. Now I'm a father and I've got a daughter, but if I had a son, and I had a son, and my son is using marijuana, kick him out of the house. That's me. I'm telling you me. If I have a son and he's using marijuana and he can't, and he can't commit himself to the principles of the work of God, he ain't going to be my son because I'm a minister. My house must be well kept. I don't have a son. I have a daughter, but I have grandsons. There's no... They, it must be under government and must be under order. Sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, whatever. The house must be disciplined. And if we understand our commitment like that, we wouldn't make wrong choices in life. We will make sure that we set an immaculate example for our family. And he goes on here, a love of hospitality. It's not uh, what it says. Bishop must be blameless as distorted of God, not self-will. He got his own will. He's got his own desire. He's got his own agenda. He's got his own plan. And you know, the other day we were praying, and I'm making this statement. I said, uh, God must be on the highest, what I say? The highest pedestal in our lives. But here's the problem. Maybe I'm accustomed to short pedestals. So I am there. No, my, I am here. My wife is there. My grandkids are there. And I put God a little above me. When God really should be on the ceiling. So my concept of the highest pedestal might not be God's concept. It might be the highest pedestal in my life. But it's not really where God wants to be. He wants to be on the pedestal that he has chosen. None like him. None as great as him. You understand? And these thoughts are there. And I'm saying, maybe we got God on the wrong pedestal. High pedestal, but wrong pedestal. And so we need to understand these things. And so he goes on and he says all of this. He says, holding fast the faithful word. And this is for a bishop. Because when he talks about elders in verse 5... He changes it, changes it over in verse 7, and he says, for a bishop. Bishop, elder, same thing. An elder is a bishop, and a bishop and an elder is one and the same. And he must be holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. As he has been taught. 
He can't just go out and buy some books and start a study, see if he can get some messages to preach to the people. Now, if I have a church, then the elders in that church ought to maintain a harmony with the message I preach. And we've got a good church. We've got men that will stand up and water that message, not pulling their own little wagon. And that's the kind of church. You have a church, the pastor plants, and everyone takes heed how he build thereupon. You don't build your own foundation and build your own little stuff. And you walk in there like if you didn't see a single thing. Not your agenda. The pastor's agenda. We're building a church here. And there must be an order. All right? And so this is all qualifications. And it says that he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine. His teachings must be right. And doctrine here is not necessarily theological doctrine because back there, they didn't have a problem with all this false doctrine we have today. They had a few maybe false doctrine, but they had a lifestyle that was the apostles' doctrine, how the people ought to love each other, how they ought to dedicate themselves to the work of God. It was a lifestyle. And so the elders must be able to initiate the lifestyle. It's not your schizophrenic. When you're in church, you're an elder of one category. When you leave the church, you're a different person. Anywhere we go, we've got to maintain our integrity. And I believe that time will come, that time will come, when you meet an elder in the mall, you'll know he's a minister, you know that he's a bishop. Not his jogging pants with his private stuff hanging on one side and he's almost naked. No. He's got to be in public. He's got to be in public decent. You understand what I'm saying? And that is what qualifies an elder to be an elder. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying there is a the decorum and an attitude we must carry in public. We must maintain our integrity in public. And so uh, over here, that's good enough. And then they say it's not given heed to Jewish fables. And I say this, and I'm saying it lightly here on a Wednesday night, because I'm going to pick this up again, not given heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn, uh, that turn from the truth. They are Jewish fables, and this, this, this Gentile church was affected by Jewish fables. Talk about the Jews. Not everything the Jews said is correct. The Jews have had a lot of fables that they were brought up in. And so think about it like that and then <clears throat> come back here. And then uh, here in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 12. And then Paul moves from elders of which who are bishops, elders and bishops, one and the same. And then he moves to verse 12. He says, let the deacons. Uh, these are ushers. These are like Stephen. Uh, like uh, these men appointed to serve bread. Uh, they also must qualify. He says, let the deacons uh, also be the husbands of one wife, having their children and their own houses, ruling their own children and houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I had Brother Goodwin. Uh, give me a plaque. I've got it, a bronze plaque downstairs. Something for the desk 
It looks like uh, maybe a couple hundred dollars for it because it's bronze. And it says Desmond Singh, GD. And I said, what's that, sir? He says, you purchased to yourself a good degree. He says, you have purchased to yourself a good degree. And that was in the early days. He gave me this plaque. He says, uh, you've got a good degree. And he's got one on his desk. And, uh, you know, he's given me one. I got it downstairs. And so, back to Acts, the sixth chapter. And so, it says here, um, and then Stephen was there and Stephen was powerful. And verse 5 says in Acts chapter 6, And after the, the saying pleased the whole multitude, they chose Stephen, man full of, the Holy, full, of spirit, whole, full of faith and the Holy Ghost, and they choose seven men. And it says in verse 7, And the word of God uh, increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And here comes in a great number of priests who are obedient to the faith. And it's hard when you have individuals come in that's already set in their own ways. See, the reason why they have problems in Acts, the 15th chapter, where men were coming down from Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem telling the church at Antioch that they need to be circumcised was because some of these guys were priests. And they, don't easily, they didn't have any training. They just said, we'll accept Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, the man that was, uh, you heard me talk about a man called Costa Deer that was praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost. And he, they dragged me into the room when I was a little boy. I poked my head in, they pulled me in. And they said, speak, speak, speak. And I speak. And they say, got it. And they release my head. And I, by the time they release my head, I was out the door. A little boy. Well, Costa Deer, the last thing I heard about him before I stopped listening to anything he had to say was that he believed that the Holy Ghost is so powerful that he's got to be charismatic and he's got to be a part of the Catholic Church. And so the Catholics are receiving the Holy Ghost, whatever Holy Ghost they got. The Catholics in those days were receiving it. And when they got together, he's saying, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And the Catholics are all singing. And when they finish, it says, Mary, 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 Mary. Can you believe that? A Pentecostal man speaking in tongues, so gullible and so led by the devil that he would sing that? I'm so glad they didn't let them hold my head too long. Otherwise, I might be singing Mary, Mary here tonight. But God is good. And they're Jewish fables. And so when these boys, uh, Stephen, full of the faith and of the power, did great wonders, verse 8. And there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and uh, um, Cyrenians and Alexandrians and a whole bunch of them. And they disputed with Stephen. Uh, this young man was only serving bread. But he reminded me of me when I was a young man. Talk about the word of God. I, nowadays the kids, you tell them, fine. You see, I did this in Hartford. When I went to Hartford, the sisters in Hartford, they found the scriptures before me. Brother Wedderburn was the teacher. Brother Shields was the pastor. And when Brother, uh, Brother Harold Wedderburn asked about Nahum, who is that? See, I'm a Pentecostal preacher, 20 minutes message. I got to go find Nahum in the front of the Bible. 
You know, the sisters all got it before me and they're looking at me because I'm the pastor, preacher. I'm a preacher visiting with them. The sisters found the brother John before me. But after a year, nobody could find the scripture faster than me. Then I got up and preached. And I got that whole church under my control. And I said, come, come on, everybody, let's, uh, I'm preaching, preaching, preaching. I said, let's turn to the first chapter of Hezekiah. And so they flip. What? I said, first chapter of Hezekiah. There's no Hezekiah. But I got all of them flipping their Bibles. And I said, I got y'all. I thought y'all know all the books in the Bible. See, I came out from where I'm coming to that place. And I disputed. Now, here is the part that I like to bring your attention to. And they, verse 11, then they summered when they could not win the spirit that stayed, Stephen had, verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. You see, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Children of God must be spirited when we're serving God. I don't mean get a demon spirit, I mean spirited. You must be zealous about serving God. Zealous about the word of God. Zealous about the things of God. Uh, when you walk around, you're vigilant. You're a child of God. And these people could not withstand, could not win an argument with Stephen. So they had liars. They summoned individuals and said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So their main accusation that they were going to bring this young man into trial was because they said he taught blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And I imagine what Stephen said. He would say like Jesus said, your fathers included Moses, at man in the wilderness, and they're dead. You have to listen to Jesus. You're condemning Moses to the Jew. The dead Moses was important. When Moses was alive, they wanted him dead. We always want somebody dead. When Jeremiah was there, they want him dead. When he's gone, they want Jeremiah. When Isaiah was there, they wanted him dead and killed him. When he was gone, the generation that followed wanted Isaiah. It's, it's sad. And that's how people are. We always want somebody that's not there to jar our rebellion. And so they come down here and they said they stirred up the people, verse 12, and the elders and the scribes and came unto him, caught him and brought him to the council, council of hypocrites, and set up false witnesses and said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and against the law. Let me tell you something. We're living in a society that is, I will preach a message. I would preach a message and the society we're living in can extract section of that message and make an issue and bring me before the courts. And if you can't stand, if the church cannot stand with me when there is no persecution against the church, you think the church will stand against me with me when there's persecution? That's when you find true disciples. When the disciples were afraid after Jesus was crucified and they fled, 
a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Never heard his name before, but he believed in Jesus. He could not identify himself before, but he believed in Jesus. And when it was time to show himself at the most dangerous time, he showed himself, he says, I want the body. Who are you? Related? No, I want the body. I will bear it in my own sepulcher. But your sepulcher is your family, stuff for family. No, no, no. This man is going to rise again the third day, so he is just borrowing my sepulcher. Talk about a man that believe in, in the Lord and believe in, in serving God. That was Joseph of Arimathea. And that is what is happening today. Today, people can formulate lies. I listen to the news all the time. And you listen to a caption that is made, and then somebody bring a full caption, and it's a different story altogether. What a country, what a world to live in, what a society to live in. And we have got to watch what's happening out there and pray that God protect us from such slanderous accusations that can come against us. That is why my life must be in God's hand. Not the people's hand, not community hand, not the church's hand, in God's hand. And it goes on here, it says they did that, and they set up false witnesses, verse 13. And it said, this man ceased not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, against the temple, and against the law. They formulated things. And we have heard him say that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. You see, one of the problems we have in life, and we'll deal with John 15 some other time, but one of the problems we have in life is that when we are brought up in customs and traditions, it, they become idols in our lives. And if the Lord himself comes and tells you to change them, now that's the way we are accustomed to go. We work on a routine. While I'm here to tell you that the time will come that we'll have to break off from the routine. Well, we know that the Spirit of God moved on the day of Pentecost, right? But we don't have a day of Pentecost. So what do we do? Create our version of it. You got to feel something. Well, we can let the band make you feel something. And so we do substitutes to fill in the place of the genuine. But it's a substitute. It is a substitute. And I remember when I was growing up and I pastored, a, I had this district with about 12 little churches and I pastored three of those little churches. Uh, that uh, we had a Bible school at the other end of the country and they wanted the cream of my crop go there. And I said, that's nice. I can send some of the young growing up elders there. They never came back. They took them away. And so that Bible school was a substitute that became the real thing. See, so the church ought to be the place where men are trained and men are brought up and children are trained. And children are brought up. And saints are trained. And saints are brought up. And this is where we start a journey of conversion. And it's a continuous process in the church. 
And customs might have to be changed. And some people will kill you if you try to change customs. But if a custom is a substitute for the real thing, we need to seek God for the real thing and get rid of the substitute. And we're saying all of this because we're introducing a subject that I like to touch on uh, one of these days where we go into the seventh chapter of, uh, of the Acts of the Apostles and read one of the profound sermons preached. We don't have Paul's messages, but we have Peter there, Pentecost, talk, great message. And we have Stephen's, the longest message one person has preached in the New Testament was Stephen's message on the, in the seventh chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, and we'll get into that someday. But you see, our conversion process, we're living in a time where the devil will try to destroy the church. And he will destroy the church by every means. We've got some messages on, um, that is stored on Spotify or whatever, Brother Joyce, storing these messages on that will show you about the flood coming out of the dragon's mouth. And I believe things like that can be related to our time. See, I told Brother Richard today, he called me and we were trying to, he wanted an answer for a question and we were looking at it and I told him, I said, Revelation can never be seen as a consecutive book, chapter one follows chapter two, follows chapter one, and then chapter three and chapter four is consecutive events. I said, no, I said, you go and read chapter seven and it talks about tribulation saints. When the tribulation has not even started. You go chapter 13 and it goes all the way back to Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia. And it reaches all over to the forward uh, to the kingdom of God. Chapter 7 tells you about the throne of God set up when it's not even set up. I said chapter 10 is parallel to chapter 11, parallel to chapter 12, parallel to chapter 13. There are sections that slant into each other. See, God never intended the Bible to be easily understood. If that's what you think, you don't know the teachings of Christ. Because Jesus spoke in parables that only the elect might understand. The rest are going to walk away with a different concept altogether. And we are to look at the word of God as it helps us to grow in God. If you're using the scripture and the word of God to exalt yourself and to get any exaltation in the human you missed the whole point. This is meant to be a lamp unto your feet to guide you through darkness in our time and tell you how to live for God. That is what the Bible, uh, this, all these messages are designed. And whatever we're missing, uh, whatever is missing is missing. Guess what? I won't go search for anything. We got the Holy Ghost and we got the God, the author that touched these men to write in the first place. And we need inspiration from God as we proceed. Uh, ahead of us. This is a good night. We've got to come to the place of understanding what's fables and what's not real and what's real and what we should hold on to uh, because fables distort truth. And may God help us because unless we start to see reality of who we are, where we are, and where we're heading, we'll never end up right.
And so tonight, I promise you, I'll finish at 8.30, and that's my promise. I feel like COVID has taught us a lot of things, and one of the things is it has taught us is that we don't need a long, drawn-out service because it's traditional to do this. I think we can change things around and get a message and prepare, and when we do these things, we'll have messages that saints can go back to and access and and start to live with God. Your relationship with God is important. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for another night in your house. We thank you, Father, for this time that we have spent together. Lord, there's so much to learn about you. There's so much to understand about you. And Father, we give you thanks for tonight. For a man like Stephen, for men like the ones we see in the early church, Father, we thank you for a man like Luke. We thank you for a man like Paul and Timothy and Titus and these men that supported the work of God to a great extent. Lord, we thank you for those that you kept faithful even unto the end. And even so, we ask that you would help us to be faithful even unto the end. Because in these days of so much opposition against the church, stability is a scarce commodity, Father. Would you plant us deep in your ways and give us stability in our lives that we'll be not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We commit Sister Chandri again in your hand and pray that the procedure tomorrow will run smooth and you'll be with her. Continue to heal Brother Vid and Sister Celeste. And, O oh Lord, we commit Sister Vijaya in your hands, Father. And we pray for every child of God, O oh Lord, in this church that you'll touch us and give us a revelation that's fresh. And oh, God can motivate us to serve you. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm.